Welcome to Tony Steak Podcast. Welcome to the Tony's Take Podcast, episode 363 of Sports. I'm Tony, and with me we've got Off-Road Andy. Hello. We do not have Sean for the second consecutive week in sports, but he was on our entertainment episode, so be sure to check that one out. We got another jam-packed show for you guys. Uh, we had a lot of trades at the trade deadline for the NBA, so we'll be getting into that and some new signings. Uh, we will be getting into the Waste Management Golf Tournament because that is always a, a golf tournament of headlines. And this year, I think they had more headlines than ever before. A lot of chaos. So we're going to get into that. Um, there was a signing for a, a new coaching signing for one of our local colleges. I guess you could say pretty local L.A. area. One of the most, you know, one of the popular colleges around Involving here. a local legend, a very and, local it, legend. Exactly. So we're going to get into that along with... Uh, Continuing to dip into our uh, college basketball uh, top 10 rankings, give you guys the new rankings, and then uh, review two more teams in the top 10. And then, of course, we're going to close it out with the NFL. We've got some Hall of Fame uh, stuff going on, and then we'll get into the big game and talk about it, tell you how our props did, how our picks did, and uh, tell you the odds for uh, next season. But, uh, yeah, let's uh, lead off with the NBA here. We had a lot of good signings, so um, turn it over to Andy here and let him start us off. Yeah, the trade deadline was last uh, Thursday. <laughs> That's what I mean, yeah, trades. Uh, so, yeah, a lot, lot of movement. Not a lot of ton of big names here. Um, some people that people expect to be traded weren't <laughs> traded, but uh, there were some important things. Um, so we'll just start here. Uh, the Mavericks uh, traded for P.J. Washington of the, of the Hornets, uh, and they had to trade away Grant Williams and Seth Curry to make that deal happen. Um, and they, they made another move as well that, you know, corresponds with these moves here. But uh, Williams was their big free, free agent signing this offseason. Didn't really work out. And uh, Seth Curry is just kind of, you know, getting old, I guess, even though he's the younger brother. Um, and I think he hasn't been very effective for him. Um, but, yeah, another another bigger one is uh, the Sixers getting Buddy healed. So uh, after the Siakam trade, uh, he wasn't getting as many minutes as the Pacers. So, uh, he's been in trade rumors for for years, and he's finally on his way. He's going to a, a really good team here. There, he could he could help them either like six man role or probably even play some closing minutes with them. You know, great three point shooter. Um, and the, what the Sixers gave up here was uh, Korkmaz, longtime Sixer, kind of just you know deep depth piece, uh, and then Marcus Morris, who who played probably more than I thought he would play uh, for the Sixers, but uh, you know he's way past his prime, so. Uh, definitely, definitely upgrade there for the Sixers. Um, that they, you know, made some made some moves and kind of reformed their bench. Uh, the Suns also, I think, improved their bench slightly. Uh, they got Royce O'Neal and David Roddy, uh, and basically they traded, you know, their you know twelfth and thirteenth men to get those those pieces there. So I think, I mean, Royce O'Neal's played some good teams. He'll be uh, an upgrade there. Uh, the Thunder traded for Gordon Hayward, so. I want to see how that works out because Gordon Hayward, you know, used to be a, a star player, but you know he had that devastating injury. Yeah, that was the He's opening old. night. I remember that, right? That was Boston, and um, I can't remember who they played off the top of my head, but I remember it was. I feel like it was right when LeBron went back to somewhere. Yeah, it was, it was, I want to say it was Boston versus Cleveland. Yeah, I think it was like LeBron coming back to Cleveland I think, too. I think he would have already been there, or maybe it was after they won. I don't know, but I just remember he went up for the, what the lob and came down and just broke his ankle. Oh, yeah, that that was that was a gruesome one. That was up there with. Um, uh, the kid from uh, Ware or Wade or whatever from uh, Louisville when his bone came out of his yeah. body there. Uh, so Thunder, they traded Trey Mann and uh, Davis Bertan. So people weren't in the rotation at, at the moment. So uh, I don't know if, if Hayward's going to be. I haven't, I haven't really checked in on the trade since since then. I don't think he's uh, been playing. He's yeah. been hurt. I think I mean, a couple. He's, yeah, he's been hurt his whole career since then pretty much. But he's a guy who has... Uh, some some playoff experience as a veteran. Uh, the Knicks made uh, a big move, another big move after making all kinds of moves <sighs> before the deadline. Uh, they they got Alec Burks and uh, Bogdanovich from the Pistons, um, and they did trade Evan Fournier, who was just not in rotation at all. Uh, Quentin Grimes and uh, Ryan Archidiakono, who was uh, I think he was kind of a fan favorite. Another, they had like all these Villanova guys. They have all guys. the Villanova guys, yeah. So that's one of them who's gone now. They got Archidiakono, they got DiVincenzo, they've got Brunson, they've got Hart. Yeah, it's a nice, nice little team. All those guys, champions, I'm sure, too. I think all of them were on, at least one of them Probably, were on those they, teams yeah. that won. I mean, they won that because DiVincenzo was a freshman and left after he got like the MVP that game when they beat, uh, was it Michigan or Wisconsin? Michigan, right? Mm-hmm. 
And then the other one was when uh, they beat uh, North Carolina with the walk-off, called a walk-off, walk-off three-pointer. Yeah. <laughs> I remember we were watching that at uh, the old podcast house. I remember that. We all screamed, as you would. Yeah. But I think they get, the Knicks get better there with that move. And I, I'm going to say that really quick. I, I have watched some like Pistons games, and I would, you know, Bogdanovich is a good, is, was by far like their best overall scorer, I felt like. And then Burks would come in off the bench and hit some threes. And I kept saying, I wish I would have said on the podcast so everybody would know I'm not lying, but I kept saying in my head, those two guys are both going to get traded because they can go help a contender. And I really do think that's great for the Knicks. I think Bogdanovich is really good. I think that's a great guy that can score there for them. And I think. Burks can come off the bench and hit a few shots. And then you've got Brunson, who, you know, some people, you know, think is, you know, flirting with like a deep, deep MVP possible candidate, depending on how they finish. And then Randall and OG, how do you say his last name? Anu. Ananobi. Ananobi. And then the way DiVincenzo has been stepping up since Julius Randall and Ananobi have been out. So it's a nice little Knicks team there. I honestly really do like what a uh, good, good veteran coach and Thibodeau. I, I really like what that Knicks team is putting together and, you know, I'm, I'm not against the Knicks. I, I don't mind. I wouldn't mind seeing them make a, a run in the East. I know I like them more than I like Boston and Philly, and I've already seen Milwaukee win, so I was happy to see Giannis win when he won as a fellow Greek man, but now I don't want to see him win again. Now I'm not interested. Yeah. I saw a funny thing, Andy, about uh, speaking of just guys that have seen one and lost, was about uh, how Chris Paul got beat us so much to Golden State, and then he joins them, and now they're just not good. <laughs> They've been playing better as of late. Yeah, I know as of late, and that's one of those teams that can. That's one of those teams that can sneak into the playoffs and make some noise. Yeah, I don't think they're going to win a title though. I don't either. But Um, uh, next up, we got here's a weird trade that I don't know really mattered, but maybe it maybe it will. Uh, The Raptors traded Dennis Schroeder for Spencer Dinwiddie, so I don't know if the Nets are trying to make a push here, um, but they're definitely not a contender in any way. Um, So I thought, I mean, if Schroeder is available, there's other teams that could have like acquired him um but then the raptors immediately um bought out dinwiddie who became a free agent and uh he decided between the mavericks and the lakers ended up picking up the lakers so mm, very good. Uh, another piece for the lakers there i don't know how he's gonna fit in uh there's some story about like oh they could play three guards with reeves and i'm like that sounds like a defensive disaster right there uh well, today's nba i mean offense is defense <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a little ridiculous how it's become, which makes me really interested in how the All-Star game's going to go. That's this weekend, right? I think so. I'll be interested to see what that over-under is going to be, because I feel like this year, more than others, there's just been so much more scoring. Yeah, but with the, with the Lakers, they didn't make any big moves here. Uh, this was their big change here, and I think yeah. a lot of teams didn't do, do anything here. And So I don't know if LeBron is going to cry about it or anything. But No, that's why I honestly think with like all these moves, I think the Knicks... Made the nicest with Bogdanovich, maybe, and Burks. I'm going to stand by that. Although I do, like, P.J. Washington was actually... Oh, they, I didn't realize. Okay. P.J. Washington was actually pretty good on Charlotte, now that I'm looking at this list again. Well, they, they were showing his stats have gone down in the last couple of years. But, I mean, you're playing for Charlotte. Maybe you just get depressed. But I'm know. surprised they traded away Grant Williams. He would, he would do pretty well. But I think it's because I they think, realized P.J. Williams was an all-around better. I think the last piece. couple months, Grant Williams has been... He has, actually. I think he's declined. So, uh, but next up, we got another one here. We got uh, Milwaukee Bucks trading for Patrick Beverly. Um, so, I don't know. The Sixers made some other moves. So, they were going to clear some space. Beverly's going back to play with Doc Rivers, who he, he has played for sort of so many years. So, I think he wanted to get, you know, and they needed some defensive help um, at guard there. Um, and they, they did trade Cam Payne away. So, it's, you know, swapping, you know, rotational guards here. Uh, so the Sixers, I don't, I don't, I never liked Cameron Payne, but yeah, bounced around for years. Where do you play college at? Like some like was it VCU or something? Yeah, it was a random like school. Yeah, it was either like VCU or Murray State or something like that. But yeah, no, I agree. He was he's he's had his moments, but then I remember I think there was like a playoff series year one year where he was I think on Phoenix did pretty well, and then he was just like yapping like he was someone very relevant. So I know what yeah. you mean. Uh, and then the last deal I have here is the Mavericks getting uh, Daniel Gafford uh, from Washington. Uh, they traded uh, Rashawn Holmes in a 2024 first. Um, so, yeah, so the Mavericks get P.J. Washington and Daniel Gafford that are two guys that are going to be key in their rotation. Washington, I think, could could start for them. Gafford should be their, their backup center there. Um, they're trying to get better. It's 
frustrating. Luca is so good, yet they haven't been able to put together a good team the entire time he's been there. And it's hard to see like what's what's supposed to work. I mean, they had Brunson and they didn't do anything with that. Uh, Porzingis was a disaster there. So uh, just a weird. Also, weird Kyrie was a disaster there last year. I mean, they thought yeah. they were they didn't even make the playoffs. They thought they were going to make a championship push getting Kyrie. They didn't even make the playoffs. I mean, right now they're they're the eighth seed, thirty one and twenty three is pretty solid record, but yeah, it's like I don't know. They they have this MVP guy, and they it's like they've never they did get to the conference finals, but they were lucky to do that. They were like a five seed that year, so uh, they haven't been like a top team once. So yeah, yeah, I guess we'll see. I mean, the West is um, the West is deep with potential. You know, like you look down there at the bottom. I mean. Lakers, you know, you always got to at least respect. I mean, they were in the Western Finals last year. Same with Golden State. You have to respect. Just won a title a couple years ago. Um, and then, yeah, you've got a lot of uh, – everyone in that top six, maybe outside of New Orleans, I think you really have to watch out for. And you never know. Maybe New Orleans, you know, they've got potential, but I don't think they're a championship team yet. But they're definitely a team that will challenge any team in the West in a seven-game series. So, yeah, that'll be, uh, that'll be pretty good. And um, I think we're going to we're going to move on here to um, a sport we don't talk about too often. We're going to move on to golf here. Uh, the waste management was uh, this past weekend. And it's a big tournament because it's the one where it's basically real life. Happy Gilmore, where especially on the, the famous 16th hole, where it's the par three, where everybody gathers, people are throwing shit, people are streaking. Everybody's allowed to be loud. And it reminds me when the happy Gilmore was going to take the putt. And he's like, why is everybody so quiet? Fires up the crowd. But. This also, to me, feels like it's uh, Sean's nightmare on a golf course. I know uh, he is a man that respects the the game of golf. And the funny thing is, is you get all these different personalities in golf. So on Instagram, I follow a couple golf uh, accounts, famous, like, you know, popular ones that have millions of views. Like, they're the main go-to golf accounts uh, for, like, information and for videos of what's, like, going on and stuff. And there was a couple videos of some players that were uh, getting upset. One guy was basically telling the guys like, you know, like, cause somebody kept yelling at the guy about something with the Ryder cup, which, you know, when USA plays Europe and he was like, I'm sick and tired of hearing it. Like blah, blah, like whatever he had to say, like yelling at somebody. And then another fan, I think it was Horschel or something like that, or not fan player. Uh, he wasn't even the one golfing, but he was paired up with the guy and people were yelling or kind of like bickering in his backswing. And the guy basically told him like to shut the fuck up. Like, hey, he's like, hey, what do you guys do? Like, you know, like blah, blah, blah. And apparently I was telling my dad about that. He says that that golfer actually is like an asshole. Like he's known as like kind of speaking his mind, like, you know, saying whatever. Uh, and then you have the other side of golfers that because, you know, golf is one of those sports where. You've got kids as young as their early 20s and guys in their, you know, early 60s, late, you know, in their 50s golfing in the same tournament. You know, you're not seeing that in any other sport. And uh, he uh, there was one guy that a buddy of mine was saying that was, you know, signing golf balls or whatever and wrapping them in like, you know, like a $10 bill and putting it in shirts and throwing it to the crowd on like the 16th hole. Cause he's a big party guy and, and wrote on the note saying next rounds on me, you know, like buying, throwing, you know, shirts in the crowd or whatever with, with, you know, 10, $20 bills in it, like buying drinks. So it's like just encouraging it. And, uh, this was the first year where alcohol sales got cut off, like in the middle of, I don't know exactly what day it was. I'm assuming it was like Saturday or something, but, I think they said it was like around like one o'clock or one thirty. alcohol sales got shut down. And I uh, came across something on Instagram where uh, one of the bartenders was talking about it and basically said that it got to the point where they were basically just letting anybody in. Like it got kind of overrun. They said at one point there was 500,000 people inside there or something like that. And, you know, that's ridiculous. And I don't know if you've ever seen the videos, Andy, but like the scene is people are camping out at 4.30 in the morning, like five in the morning when the gates open at like 6 a.m. or something like that. And they race like and people are dressed up. It's it's quite crazy. So, I mean, I, I kind of would have liked to have uh, Sean on here for his opinion because he actually is a, a good golfer and he's a an avid golfer um, to like feel what his opinion about this would be, because I just start to wonder if. And I don't think they'll shut down the tournament because it does make so much money, but it gets to the point where I think there might be some players that are like, I'm not going to fucking golf in this again. Yeah. Like it's chaos and it's, it really is chaos. And then 
it's just funny because then it does again it reminds you of happy gilmore when they're like he's good for the game the ratings are through the roof and it's it's true like i mean this is what i mean the, the ticket sales the alcohol sales it's it's ridiculous so i mean uh, you have it i know you're not a big golfer but you have any thoughts on uh, this subject well, i mean i don't want to say that it doesn't count but it is like really early and is not like <clears throat> oh yeah no so i know it's, it's I think it's fine to keep doing it as it is and just being like, well, it's not the biggest deal. Um, like you said, if you don't want to be involved, don't be involved. But it is going yeah, to be—it's going to be rowdy, and it's the one time. Like you don't have to worry about that. The Masters, so yeah, no, hundred percent not that old. You, know, you can put up with it. Yeah, no, I agree. It's. Uh, I think it's here to stay. I think it's. It makes too much money for them to ever go away. And if there are a handful of guys that are like, this golf tournament's not for me because of the chaos, then. Oh, well, I guess then you can sit this one out or you can go over to Saudi Arabia with the rest of them. But um, anyway, moving on, we're going to move on to some college. Uh, we'll start off with the, we can just knock out the college football, I think, really quick, just because it was just one quick little subject here. Yeah, it was an interesting two-part story here. Um, so if you've been paying attention to the NFL coaching hires and everything, uh, Chip Kelly put his name out there to be an offensive coordinator in the NFL. Which is like, hey, you're under contract. Do you say what's going on there? Um, he was seemed pretty desperate to leave. Uh, he did not get any of the NFL jobs, but pretty quickly after that, he uh, took the job as the offensive coordinator at, at Ohio State. So um, I, I said he he coached Ryan Day at some point, so they have a relationship there, and so he's going to take over, uh, call plays there for Ohio State, which is like a, a demotion, but also a promotion because you're playing for a better program, but. It, you know, they're in the same conference next year. It is a strange story, but uh, I think what's going on here is UCLA told Chip Kelly, like, we're not going to give you a deal after this year, so we don't want to fire you and pay you a bunch of money, but you don't have a future here. Um, so he found a new job and left UCLA with a with an opening, and uh, they brought back a coach who uh, was with the program who left like two weeks ago. So Deshaun Foster, their former running back um, in, in late 90s, early 2000s, uh, left UCLA to take the running back coach job with the Raiders. Um, and it's like, everyone's like, oh, it's a big blow. He's, he's very popular with all the players and everything, and he's done a good job. Um, but now with the head coach position open, UCLA went right back to him and said, hey, do you want to be the head coach? So he uh, left the Raiders and now is the new head coach of UCLA. Um so it's it's neat because not only is he a UCLA legend, you know, played for played for the last UCLA team to play in a Rose Bowl. Uh, so like the last golden era of UCLA football it was a, I think a second round pick. Played in the Super Bowl with the Panthers, um, but he is a local legend, and by local I mean like real local. Yeah, like, the city we are recording in right now is where he went to high school. Yeah, so he was. Was he Tustin. born in this in Tustin as well? No, I mean what's interesting is that he was born in Charlotte, so he went and played for the Panthers. But you know, got recruited he, he, quickly yeah. by uh, what's Tustin's? Why am I blank? Tillers. Yeah, the Tillers. Um, I imagine he was he lived here before that and probably grew up here, but it's born in uh, yeah Charlotte there. But um, yeah, I I always knew even when he was at UCLA, like he's like the greatest Orange County football player. Like Orange County's had a ton of great quarterbacks, baseball uh, players. Yeah, but oh, it's sorry. like not. <laughs> Not much else outside of quarterback, um, and he was, you know, a pretty dominant running back. Do we have any hockey people in Orange County? <laughs> Probably not. I don't yeah, know. I was gonna say I don't. We can search that. No, yeah, another time. Yeah, I mean, there's a few b basketball players, uh, but no one like L.A. County's got all the basketball players. Like California brings out a lot of good basketball players, but they're in L.A. County. Yeah. We have Clay Thompson. I think he's oh, yeah, he's our big one. that's that's Orange County. Yeah, that would be a big one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's not a lot of running backs, receivers, that kind of stuff. Although I guess we got St. Brown now, so that's good. We got one star receiver. Um, but yeah, like it was just like growing up and like playing high school football. It's like, you knew the name Deshaun Foster. Like, well, this guy was, this guy was a legend. He was, he was as good as any other running back across the country. And he came from here. It's not supposed to work that way. Um, so he, he's, I think he's been. Coaching for UCLA, like, off and on for the last decade. So, uh, very popular with the, the players that are already there. Uh, UCLA's usually had good running backs in the last decade. I mean, not, I don't think any superstars, but, like, you know, that Zach Charbonnet from uh, a couple years ago was a really good player, and I think he'll be good for the Seahawks eventually. But, uh, yeah, it's just it's a neat story there, and I hope he does well. I don't know what the success looks for, like for UCLA football. 
especially going into the new conference. Yeah, I, that'll be uh, the that'll be what's going to be really interesting this next yeah. season. Is I think the this new next conference. year is kind of going to be a uh, nothing for him anyway. So. Yeah, that'll be uh, definitely interesting to see. Uh, but, but it is cool because, like you said, I mean, we all know the name Deshaun Foster. I think one of the local um, bars uh, or not even bar it's a restaurant bar um, over on uh, Newport, not too far away from here. Uh, Tustin Brewing Company. They have like a Deshaun Foster like jersey in there, but like a, his Tustin jersey, I think, like signed or something like that photo of him. So a lot of the local bars, restaurants. um in the Tustin area do have, uh, especially the sports, more sports trendy ones do have uh, uh, some memorabilia of his in there. So it is pretty cool. So to get to see him be dominant there, like we talked about playing the NFL, uh, I think Andy and I are both were more like grown up. I think uh, both on the UCLA side, as opposed to the whole UCLA USC thing. Uh, I know I grew up cheering for UCLA All my, some of my dad's really close friends, my uncle, they went there. So I grew up cheering for UCLA, so Deshaun Foster, definitely a name I know. So uh, congrats to him. Hopefully, uh, we hope for the best for him. Uh, we will move on to now uh, more college, but this time in the form of basketball. Uh, last week, we went over two teams, and uh, we're going to do it again this week. Uh, but we'll start off with uh, telling you guys the top 10. Uh, starting off at number 10, Iowa State. Uh, number 9, Duke. Which, you know, I should note, Iowa State, number 10, they did move up four spots. They were not in the top 10 last week. Uh, we have Duke at number nine, staying the same. Tennessee went from six to eight. Uh, North Carolina went from three to seven. And it is noted, North Carolina lost tonight to a non-ranked Syracuse team. So, North Carolina really struggling against these non-ranked teams. I don't know how much longer they have in the top 10. Kansas moving down two spots from four to six. And they also lost to a... Uh, I'm not sure if Texas Tech was ranked last week. Uh, no, a non-ranked Texas Tech team. So they uh, they fall also. And then moving up at number five, we got Arizona, who's up three spots from the eighth spot from uh, last week. Marquette at number four, also up three spots from the number seven seed last week. Uh, Houston now at number three, moving up from the five spot. Uh, and then Purdue staying the same at number two. And then UConn staying the same at number one. Both of them with identical 22 and two records. Uh, but like we did last week, we're going to just preview two teams here in the top 10. So I'll let Andy lead us off here with uh, the first team here, which will be uh, the Tennessee Volunteers. Yeah, they've, they've been a, a good team for, for a little while now. Um, but this year, their leading scorer is a guy named Dalton Necht, who's actually a transfer from northern colorado so uh we see a lot of those transfers now with the, the new rules and everything so you know he's a senior guard gonna play his last year for a big program um they also got a uh, jonas adu he's been there for for a few years uh, oh yeah that name sounds definitely yeah, familiar so, uh the big man there so it's uh yeah he's in his third year um, and then my guy santiago Vescovi. oh yeah i know that name always I sure always know. love just watching this uh, you know, South American guy running around there and just like, he doesn't, he might be like 29, who knows, um, but he's he's in his fifth year <laughs> playing for Tennessee. So uh, it's it's a team, it's, it's, like I said, they're always in the mix, but they never they actually are, yeah. get, never get there. I feel like they hardly even get past first. like the 16 or something like yeah, that. Like I, they, think, I think that one year with Grant Williams, they were in the Elite Eight. Yeah, that was a good team. They might have even gotten to the Final Four, did they? I don't know. I feel like they, who else did they have on that team with Grant Williams? They had someone else that was, uh, Admiral Schofield. Yeah, that's what I would know. That was who I was thinking of. Yeah. Didn't really do much in the pros. I mean, but yeah, let's see. they, uh, I think that was like the, yeah, Grant Williams and they had a good team that year. Adam Schofield, Jordan Bone, um, Lamont Turner. I know that guy could come in, hit some threes. Avis Pons, who I, I think at the time was young at that time. But he was, I think he ended up playing for a little bit. Yeah, he's actually still playing. He's on the Memphis Grizzlies. Oh, that was like a year ago. But anyway, yeah, that's uh, that team is always up there. You can always count on them to be uh, to be up there. So, uh, and yeah, the other team we're talking about this week is the North Carolina Tar Heels. So, just said they lost another game here, uh, but they got some veterans at the top there. Our leading scorer is R.J. Davis, who's in his fourth year with the team. So, just a name you've, you've probably heard before if you watched the tournament. Uh, and then Armando Baycott, his fifth year with the team, just wow, a yeah. just a, a beast of a man in, in college. Like he's just one of the better rebounders we've seen in college basketball. Just really annoying. Like just gets tons of offensive rebounds and everything. Um, and just like he's just one of those guys where he's not 
can't make the NBA. You know, he's not probably big enough, not athletic enough, can't really shoot. But, you know, against the lesser competition, he just uses his, his size. And um, I don't know. I, I want to say fun to watch, but no, I think he's annoying to watch. <laughs> um, but he's, he's still out there doing it. And, uh, yeah, who knows? I mean, they're, they're struggling right now, but they're the type of team, you know, they're, they end up being like a four seed and then they make a run. And you're like, oh, shit. So, so that's North Carolina. Yeah, yeah, they they, count them out. they definitely will. Uh, they have you know they have the experience. This is definitely a North Carolina team with you know our, like we said, R.J. Davis, Armando Baycott, Bay- Baycott that uh could definitely um be up there. But uh, you know the tournament's so funny because you know you see you always got a teams that we won't even preview here. Always you know our tournament uh busters or uh, whatever they call them like tournament break your tournament bracket bracket busters. Yeah, what I tournament busters. I know that didn't sound right. I knew it was like an alliteration. All right. Well, we're going to come in now into our last topic here, which was the Super Bowl. But before we get into that, we're going to jump into the, the the members of the 2024 Hall of Fame class. And I, I kind of want to like talk here if like, you know, like I'd like to see like, Andy, do we agree with some of these? Do we disagree? Uh, so we'll start off here. These are all the members that are going to be in the Hall of Fame. So we'll start at the we'll start at the top here, or the bottom here from uh, this list that you got for me. We'll start from the top. Dwight Freeney. I'm I'm okay with I know I played a lot of Madden. He was good on Madden. So I, I enjoyed Dwight Freeney. Good move, we all know, yeah. Good good at sack, so I think we agree with that. This is where I think it gets a little iffy right away though. Devin Hester. I I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Like he is one of the best, you know, punt returners. He's the all-time best punt returner with 14 punt return touchdowns, but you know, he only had 6 kickoff return touchdowns, which is actually um like uh, I think they said it, was, it wasn't even close. Like even like guys like Josh Cribbs had more, and uh, Cordell Patterson actually has the most. I heard uh, kickoff return touchdowns with nine. So yeah, twenty career return touchdowns. But it's like he wasn't an amazing receiver. I mean, it was he had the speed. I mean, he was fun to play on Madden if you were able to pick up. But even in Madden, you'd pick him up late in the rounds. You know, you, if you made your own dynasty team, you know, like seventy three overall, but like a thousand speed. I mean, so what do you feel? What do you feel about Devin Hester? I think he's a fun player to make the Hall of Fame. I don't know how long, like, I don't know how it works. With, like, we talked about baseball before, like, dropping off the ballot. Um, it says I feel like it, football doesn't. It ever. says it's his third year of eligibility. I feel like he's a guy who should <clears throat> okay. wait maybe a little longer. Agreed. Um, like, him being in the Hall of Fame doesn't bother me. I honestly thought it was maybe his, I guess, yeah, he has been retired a while. I mean, it, it being his third year of eligibility, okay, but still, I don't know. Like, he, well, he was a great, I mean, he was a dynamic kick returner, but... And, but that, that's part of the game that doesn't even really exist anymore now that they've scooted up the kickoff and, you know, kickers are always booting it out of bounds. You don't see many returns anymore, but it was always exciting. That make you laugh, Andy? No, I'm kidding. No, I'm joking. Uh, next up, we have Andre Johnson, who dominated. I think one of those guys that maybe retired a little young or maybe a couple years before or no. I guess 14 year careers, then 14 career, 14 years for like a few years. Yeah, that's right. But those those years in Houston were fun. He he was a great receiver. I'm I'm definitely okay with him uh, being a uh, a Hall of Famer. That works for me. Uh, next up on this list, we've got Julius Peppers. That uh, he dominated in college. I remember that much. Yeah. Speaking of North Carolina basketball, <clears throat> uh, I didn't pay attention to football very much, or at least college football as no. a kid. And when I found out that like Julius Peppers was the number two pick, I'm like, what? Julius Peppers, the fucking six man like energy guy, like. He's a football player. It threw me off because he was, you know, on some good North Carolina basketball teams. Yeah, no, he's uh, a, he's an athlete. So Hall of Fame worthy for sure, I think, for him. Uh, this next man, also on the defensive side of the football, 100% worthy. Patrick Willis, one of the, you know, again, like a lot of these guys, we're getting to that point now where I just think of when we played Madden, like, you know, when I was in high school or middle school, like these were the guys that were like just the most dominant on the, on the game. And Patrick Willis was up there. So uh, definitely... Uh, worthy for him to be uh, in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, definitely mm-hmm. a guy who left the game early. early. And it, and it's hard when you're a linebacker. I don't think uh, you have much. Uh, sometimes you don't have as much. You know, we know like guys like Luke Keekley left really yeah, early. It was interesting. It's Both of those guys scary. played around the same amount. And Luke Keekley, I, I imagine that might hurt him from Hall of Fame stuff. Maybe deep somewhere in the years to come. But I think he did win a Defensive Player of the Year. So that yeah. And maybe they do factor in that. But uh, now these guys, Andy, I don't really even know. Randy Gratishar, who uh, played on the the Rockies, I guess, on huh? the 1970s and early 80s. The Orange Crush they defense. the Rockies. Oh, they Denver rule the Rockies. Rockies. Okay, wow. 
So yeah, these are the senior picks. So this is like after people are ineligible, they go back and look <laughs> at the case and see if someone should get in there. So they, it's a cold case here. They opened up the cold case files. So here it looks like he won Defensive Player of the Year in 1978. So okay, uh, he's got some good stats there. Uh, and then next up here, we've got Steve McMichael, long-haired roughneck out of Texas. Became one of Chicago's favorite adopted sons and the senior finalist and now became a Hall of Famer. He's a third. Uh, what are some of his uh, good stats here? And uh, defensive lineman posted 95 sacks, 847 tackles, 13 forced fumbles across 15 years. Um, he's part of the Bears uh, uh, team that won the 85 season, won the Super Bowl. Uh, seven years with eight more sacks, second all time among defensive tackles. Uh, but he was diagnosed with ALS, but he's battled the disease since and now recognized for his gridiron glory. So does he even know that he is a Hall of Famer? What is ALS? Lou Gehrig's disease. You oh, then lose, he, you don't lose your memory. <laughs> okay. But it's a serious disease. It is a serious like, disease. Yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah. All right. Well, glad he got to see himself get in the Hall of Fame. Now I have to dump an ice bucket on you, I think, for saying that. Remember that? I, I do remember that ice bucket challenge. Honestly, I, I do use uh, cold water at the end of my showers typically. I, it is good for you, the cold water. It uh, does a lot of benefits for you. But uh, now it looks like, Andy, we will get into the Super Bowl. The meat and potatoes, you know, the big game. Um, so how do you want to do this? you want to review the Super Bowl first or go into our props first or so just mix do, it together? Do the props first and then I have these kind of like categories to hit, I think we can hit everything. Okay, little. yeah. I mean, obviously everybody listening knows what happened in the Super Bowl. I mean, it was the most, I will say, I don't know if you knew this, Andy, but I found out it was the most viewed, not only the most viewed Super Bowl ever, the most viewed attempt, like I almost said attempt, I don't know. The most viewed thing on television, second most all time, I guess, behind the moon landing. Back then, though, the moon landing, everybody got, what, eight channels? And all eight channels probably had the moon landing on it. So, I mean, you had no choice but to watch the moon landing in 19, we'll call it 60, what? Eight. Okay, that sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, yeah, so uh, we'll start off with, um, let's go down the list here. Um, the first one I had was longest field goal over 47 and a half yards. And the funny thing about this is it hit, and it hit when Jake Moody set the NFL record for longest kick in a field in a Super Bowl, which then would get beat a quarter or so later by Harrison Butker. So I was very right on this one. Um, you want me to just go through all mine and then, yeah, yeah let's just do that. Right on the second one too. So yeah, exactly. So then with that said, uh, my other prop was, and you know, Andy had all underdogs. Let me just say, I only had two underdog stuff here. So, uh, We'll just keep that in mind. But my next one, that was a minus 145 winner, by the way. This one was both teams to make a field goal beyond 32 yards at a minus 140. And uh, that did that did happen. Happened very is pretty easily. Like we said, both both kickers switched off, setting the record. Moody had it for about an hour and a half, uh, if you count the halftime show. And then this was the one I was very happy about. Over two and a half players with a pass touchdown. I mean, not a pass touchdown, with a pass. Although with a pass touchdown would have worked also. But over two and a half players with a pass, plus 135. I said it would be, you know, obviously we know Mahomes threw a pass, Purdy threw a pass. And I said, I think the Niners would do something on an end around. I thought it would be Debo Samuel, but it ended up being Jawan Jennings with a pass down the field that threw to McCaffrey. That was the first touchdown of the entire game. So good for Jawan Jennings. Uh, great thing there. The next one here, I had uh, at minus 130 that Taylor Swift would be f shown before the first touchdown, but it had to be after the game started because obviously they would show her pregame and uh, they showed her multiple times because the first touchdown didn't happen until somewhere in the second quarter. It was a shutout first quarter uh, and then there was only like, you know, three. Uh, it was a field goal happened first and then finally, uh, you know, a touchdown got on the board. So. Taylor Swift uh, being shown before the first touchdown, uh, minus 130 hit. And then here was the bet I lost. Pacheco to have the first touchdown of the game, plus 550. And uh, there was a moment where it looked like that was going to be possible because when it was 3-0 uh, 49ers, Chiefs were driving. And they got inside the 10-yard line, and Pacheco had the ball, driving right around the 5 on a first down and fumbled the ball. So uh, that was the one I lost. So I ended up going 4-1, and one, but like I said, I had a lot of favorites. So if you were to bet, oh, we're going to figure this out right now. If you were to bet $100 on each of my four picks, is that our profit there? Yes. You would have made. I'm No, I'm lost. I'm, it doesn't I'm, matter. 
It doesn't matter. Yeah, we you, four and one I'm on. I'm trying a, to do the math. I forgot to do the math, and I'm trying to do no. It I mean, you're it's real time, and it's really tough. Yeah, no, Excel is not a. You do it Excel much better than 99% of think of people do it. So I mean, what you were doing just now had me. I was convinced you could have told me anything with the wizardry you were pulling off here. I use Excel a little bit with work, but not to that degree. It's literally my job. You know. Yeah. So, but uh, anyway, four and one. But again. Three of them were minus 130, minus 140, minus 145. And then the plus 135 helps, but the plus 550 was the, the big one in that loss. So uh, we'll jump over here into Andy's. Uh, yeah. But again, like I said, Andy did all underdogs. So. so I do think that profit was right. I think that was a profit, 230 yeah. or something. Yeah. Trying to figure that out. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so my pick. So I wanted to go very McCaffrey heavy um, because he was what I was targeting as the key player of the game. Yes. And he was a key player in the game, some for some wrong reasons, but I started out with a MVP plus 440. Um, did not happen. It could have <laughs> happened. There was a real chance. I think if he closed out that overtime with a touchdown, I think he would have been the MVP. I'm assuming they, they also held on to win. Um, I also had McCaffrey to rush for hundred yards, got to 80. He did have 160 total yards. So that didn't get there. Uh, Pacheco, 80 rushing yards. I don't think he can gotten even close. Uh, they really shut him down there. Uh, Kelsey under six and a half receptions. Uh, he had one catch at halftime and yeah, had eight one catches yard. uh, in uh, the second half there. Um, and then also had no fourth down conversions, which uh, held for most of the game until I think the last five minutes or last eight minutes, something like that. The Niners went for a fourth down, which was uncharacteristic because remember my, my logic there was that uh, both these coaches are kind of conservative. Even though they're, they're offensive geniuses, they're kind of conservative when it comes to fourth down calls, kicking field goals versus going for it. And we saw they both attempted long field goals, um, which I think is in line with my thinking there. But uh, down three with the fourth and three, uh, the Niners elected to go for it instead of uh, kicking that field goal, and they, they converted. So that bet was off. And then in overtime, Chiefs got a fourth down as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, that was – Plus 300, I think that was well worth it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I could have live bet that at eight minutes left or something. Um, I'm sure you're not. Because, I mean, fourth down conversions usually do come at the end of the game. Yeah. Um, but the fact there wasn't even attempt through the first three and a half quarters, I think, tells you something. Yeah, but I mean, we all knew there was going to have to be that chance. Where this was going to be a tight game. Somebody was going to be driving driving late. But um, yeah. So what else? Uh, what else do we want to get? We want to get into like basically how the game was because I, I know one thing for sure that I would like to touch at some point in this game is the overtime situation because oh, yeah. that was pretty much like a big story about it. How the Niners basically even a lot of players admitted that they didn't even know the new rules or like the concept of them. And yeah, but uh, well, let's get into other stuff first before we get into I guess yeah, how I kind wanted of overtime. to start off with the the two matchups, you know, offense versus defense. I think the, you know how did the game go here? So. The Niners' offense versus the Chiefs' defense, this was really the two strengths here. Uh, the Niners' offense, if not the best offense, they were you know up there with Baltimore. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the Chiefs' defense, surprisingly, was the better part of their team this year. Uh, and I have to say, the Chiefs' defense won this matchup. Uh, they didn't completely shut down the, the Chiefs' Niners. defense won them all the matchups, I think, yeah, in the, oh, yeah. the playoffs this year. I'm saying in this, in this particular matchup, I yeah. think they got the better of them. Uh, that's a lot of... The discussion of this game is how good Steve Spagnuolo has been, his fourth title as a defensive coordinator, uh, and just really getting to them with blitzes at the right time. I think two of the key plays of the game, and there's all the other things that happen that people will, will highlight, um, but I think there are two situations towards the end of the game where the Niners were facing a third in five or less. I think maybe one was a third and four, one was a third and five. And uh, both times the Kansas City defense – Blitzed and got to Purdy uh, before he was able to hit an open receiver, uh, ending the drive, settling for field goals. Had they, in that first one, had they converted, which is in the fourth quarter, they would have been able to kick a short field goal and run the clock out and win the game. It was basically the game. It, like it, At the moment it happened, you're not really thinking about it, but it was uh, McDuffie, their best cover corner, coming on a blitz, um, and Purdy just doesn't see it in time, and uh, he isn't able to hit the, the receiver in that area. Um, and just yeah, a lot of a lot of really good calls there. And they, uh, the other thing was they they didn't shut down McCaffrey, but they really bottled him up pretty well. I think he ended up having twenty three carries for eighty yards. It was like three and a half yards per carry. So 
Uh, he did not really dominate on the ground there. He had a lot of opportunities, and that's uh, what I was targeting at the start of this game was that that's the night or that's the Chiefs' defense or weakness on defense is a run defense. Yeah, uh, but they played pretty well on that that side there. So I think that was a. Uh, I mean, there's it's hard to say like this matchup was the key to the game because this is the matchup that doesn't involve the guy named Patrick Mahomes. But I think that it was. This was this is where the game was won and lost. Um, but of course, when you're doing the Chiefs' offense versus Niners' defense, there's some important things there. But uh, anything you have to say on the, on the, that offense? Niners offense versus Chiefs defense. Any plays? Uh, uh, well, I think a notable thing was the first drive of the entire game. I mean, the Chief, the Niners went down there, and I, the way they drove that first drive, I was like, because I told people I was like, if, if the Niners play to how well they're capable of playing, I think this could be a blowout in the in the favor of the Niners because I think the thing with the Chiefs was that their offense wasn't that great. It just they were able to just make things happen because their defense was keeping them in it, and the Niners drove down their throats, and then. About inside the 15, McCaffrey does, you know, something he doesn't do often, fumbles the football, but he was running it well. They were moving it. And that was immediately a quick turnaround because, again, the Chiefs didn't put their first points on the board until like late in the, mm-hmm. in the first half because, you know, yeah. So, I mean, it's just, you know, the defense did, I mean, the offense didn't do much. And it was, and the offense just wasn't doing anything. Like the, they literally let them sit around. And then that's what, you know, gave him enough time to, you let us sit around. And then they, he woke up in the fourth quarter and I was kind of listening to something that, uh, a good take on the game, which are on Mahomes that I, uh, agreed with, which was kind of like, it's like he gathers data in the first few quarters and then figures everything out and then just unleashes on you at the end. And it's that, that feels like that's what happened. Yeah. Now, another thing on this offense versus defense matchup, uh, Kittle, Ayuk and Debo combined did not have great production. Like there were some yeah. nice plays from from, from all. Well, of them. Debo really didn't do anything. He got hurt too. Kittle had the the fourth down conversion, but I think he had only one other catch otherwise. Um, and I think that was something. The Niners' offense is great. A lot of great players. I think what they are missing, and you can't you can't just have every great player. Um, but Ayuk's probably their best receiver, like just normal receiver. And I don't think he's a top. 10, 15 type guy. They don't have uh, Devontae Adams or Jamar Chase or Jefferson Jefferson. And I think that hurt them in this game that like those guys were able are not going to beat the Chiefs uh, cover corners. Yeah. Um, as easy as some of those other players. Um, but again, like the Niners have such a good team that it's like not really an excuse to be like, oh, you, you also need the, a great wide receiver. It's like they are, they have tons of weapons. Um, but that did, uh, you know, change how they played and, uh, it was Juwan, Juwan Jennings yeah. who kind of picked up the slack uh, as their, their number three receiver um, and, of course, had that you know touchdown pass on the trick play. Um, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of people out there saying that if they would have won that game, like, you know, 1916 or whatever, that would Jennings have been MVP? I mean, because yeah, he had a receiving touchdown and a passing touchdown. And he had 50 yards receiving and that. Yeah, two touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know what the, like, was he even on the board to be an MVP? <laughs> I think it was one of those, like, plus 25,000 things. Oh, yeah, no, it would have been something stupid. Yeah, um, yeah then then on the other uh, the matchup here, Niners offense versus, um, or Niners defense versus Chiefs offense. Uh, I don't want, even want to know if it's a tale of two halves, but it, it kind of was. And there's also a key moment that changed yep. i think uh a very key moment well, i'm gonna say two key moments i don't know which one you're thinking of but that that kind of affected the game here um on this matchup and um the first thing i'll say is the injury to uh dre greenlaw yeah that so he tore his acl or tore his achilles celebrating not still, not running so. onto the field he was so <laughs> amped to run onto the field after a punt that like okay we're gonna we're on defense now so crazy how that fell happens. over and lost. It's, it's, it's up there with like Kendry Morales stomping on home plate That's after winning a walk, a hitting a walk off yeah. grand slam for the angels um, so and breaking his leg up, and never being the Diaz same as last year. In the, in the oh yeah. World baseball classic. Um, but it actually made a huge difference. So one of the reasons I picked Kelsey to go under six and a half receptions, because uh, the Niners have two really good middle linebackers that can cover him. And uh, what you got, what you saw in the second half is that the Chiefs uh, got Kelsey on the third string guy there, um, and he was able to to beat him a number of times, uh, and it just it just made a big difference to to lose that guy, um, 
I mean, now I don't think I don't think the Niners were going to like hold them to six points or anything, but it did seem to, to matter, and especially there at the end of the game, uh, the last few drives there where it's like we know who to pick on. Like you're saying, Mahomes is waiting, seeing how things are working. It really helps to knock out one of the top players too. Yeah, force a guy. Uh, I think he was a rookie onto the field in those key situations. But I do think on the on Kelsey's big reception towards the end of the game, I think that was on uh, on uh, why am I blanking on his name on uh, Fred Warner. So it's not like they can't beat the top players either. Of but, course, I mean Kelsey is, but you know, I think that was a key play. And then I think the other key play in this matchup was actually special teams. But I'm going to say it was the Kansas City offense that got to stay on the field. Uh, on a fluke play, like I, I, I hate this. Uh, I yeah. hate, I hate fumbles in general, but I really hate fumbles involving punting because I don't think there's like, well, especially when it's like this. Yeah, well, I think I think the whole thing is like, well, if you fumble, then you're bad. If you're able to create a fumble, you're good, and it doesn't really work that way. But especially here, it, this is just totally random. This happens to, I think, every team has one of these in a season, right? And it's it's the most depressing thing in the world. Like you just well, especially when it happens at this stage. Yeah, to have it happen in the Super Bowl like that, and basically give life to Kansas City offense that have been struggling. I mean, like, it, w- it was the biggest moment of the game. Yeah, I think. I, th- I think by win expectancy, that's got to be the. And I mean, and it is crazy. Like you know, they punt it, and then it's it hits off of the heel of the the back heel of the guy blocking, and then of course the. The guy, the, the returner knew he had to pick it up. And then, you know, it's so funny because, like, you see so much stupid shit on the Internet, like social media. And, you know, you get all these people out here. The biggest thing is that, you know, everybody now claiming, like, you know, the whole NFL script stuff, like it's fake. It's all, like, scripted and yada, yada. And you come across some stuff that there's some things you see and you're like, oh, that's kind of an interesting point. But then there's some things where you're like, dude, like, people don't people are so dumb that they don't realize people are, like, going for clicks and stuff. Like, there was, on that instance, some guys, like, this thing is, you know, they speak in like the V for Vendetta voices too. And on their, like their profile pages or whatever, or their video, little videos. And they're like, you could tell this is so scripted. Like all the guy had to do was fall on the ball. I'm like, are you a fucking like idiot? Like, it's like, don't you realize that how many times in life at all levels, whether it's peewee, high school, college pros, like the best of the best. There's so many situations where there's a fumble where guys try to just pick it up instead of fall on it. Yet, like, yes, there are times where, yes, he should have fallen on it, but he didn't. And it has nothing to do with your little agenda, your, like, script. And then another funny one was that uh, people always take advantage of this, is that on that last drive, on, like, one of the first plays, Mahomes was about, you know, a yard, two yard, a yard or two short of the first down. And the TV thing went from, it said it was first and 10. And then Mahomes did a little two yard run and got the first down, which was really second and two or second and one. But the TV said first and 10, cause it didn't switch. It didn't, you know, note that it was second and two, even though obviously the, you know, the actual markers were second down on the field. And then, so people saw that it said first and 10 Mahomes runs two yards. And then it says first and 10 again. And they're like, see, they want the NFL wants. I'm like, are you guys that dumb that you think that the 49ers are like, nobody else would notice and be like, what? It was first and 10. He ran two yards. It's first and 10 again. Like, like th- that stuff just baffles me. Like, and then like, don't get me wrong. Games have been rigged before. They've been fixed before. But, you know, like the most notable one, you know, we talk about a lot is the NBA with Dunahy, where, and even then he was only one, like 60 something percent of his games because it's like, there's so much that has to go into it. Like you can never be like a hundred percent. So all these goofballs that are like saying all these little things it's like dude please do yourself a favor and shut the fuck up like you got to like look at both ends of things like there's always two sides of stuff like that's why you know producer luke always will send it. he's the one that sent me that and he'll, he'll always send me that stuff and i'll i immediately look in the comments and i'm like dude you got to look in the comments more too because that way it's like as someone who's one of your closest friends like i'm embarrassed when you send me shit like that and then it's so easily debunked like sure there's some things that it's like you know Okay, like, oh, yeah, that makes a good point. But there's so many times where it's like, bro, like, come on. Like, it's so obvious that it's like, you know, people going for clickbait and shit like that. But uh, but anyway, that was my little rant on on that. But uh, yeah, that's uh, it was a bummer. It's a bummer to see that. And it's also not the first time that 49ers in the last decade have had a key fumble on a on a punt. So so and, uh, it's a bummer, but uh, it is what it is. But uh. I think we want to just jump into this, this overtime stuff really quick because the game did go into overtime, as obviously everybody knows. And there was a new rule a handful of a couple of years ago or something like that. I don't, I don't know exactly when, but 
that no matter what, each team in the playoffs gets one possession. In the NFL now, in the regular season, if you get the ball first and you score a touchdown, you win. If you kick a field goal, the other team gets a chance. But in the playoffs, no matter what happens on that first possession, both teams get the ball. And apparently the 49ers, a lot of guys on that team weren't aware of that. But also, the 49ers didn't know from what I was told or heard. They weren't really as well prepared as the Chiefs. And they actually had a... They they went to like an analytical guy to be like to figure out like what they should do. And everybody said, like, you know, go with the take the ball first, because, you know, you're going to if you take the ball first, there's that chance that if if there is a third possession, that it's that it's for the that that's when it becomes sudden death. You know, if they kick a field goal and then San Jose, I mean, not San Jose. Well, oh, Kansas, play there. yeah, Kansas City gets the ball and they get a field goal that you now get the ball and sudden death but then you know there's some people out there saying like well no now now if you you know you only get the field goal or a touchdown like you're giving Mahomes four downs to get a first down like he's gonna he's gonna do it if you're giving him four downs which it's like okay no I see that I agree with that but uh I mean I, I don't know I, I've heard both so, sides of both ways like I'd like to know I mean you're a good numbers guy analytical yeah, guy like what are what's your here I think that that whole thing of like the Niners didn't know the rules and the Chiefs did was a little overblown because doesn't really matter if the players know. The I think I think there's uh, multiple times where I think in every sport on every team you've got multiple players that don't know certain rules to a T. I mean that's why they're not referees; they're just players. I mean, I mean, I, I didn't know all the rules. I was confused. I was saying like with if they the don't clock. The, with the clock thing is like does it end in in is it a new like period? And then Romo was like doing a good job trying to yell like no, it's just like the end of the first quarter that the, they retain possession and everything. Um, but yeah, as far as the like, the Niners didn't understand the rules. Like Shanahan came out today, and said like, "No, we knew we had a we had a plan. We discussed what we would do in these situations." So, um, and so did Kansas City. And Kansas City even said like, if the Niners scored a touchdown first, they would have gone for two uh, to end the game. Which uh, the thing is, they said this new format of overtime actually is pretty equal. That's the problem with the old with the old rules is that there was such an advantage to winning. The coin toss, they said with this new format, that it should be around 50-50. Like all the numbers people can do yeah. all these simulations and no one can really get an edge on it. So there are advantages to going first and there's advantages going to second. But it kind of like nets out to being like it's really hard to, to know. Um, I think one of the things that drives people crazy with trying to do these calculations is I think Patrick Mahomes breaks people's minds. Um, and he might have broken all of our minds too and broken our hearts, huh. broken my heart many times. Um, but he is not perfect. He seems like it, but there is something, there's like an inevitability that people believe with him. And because he's won two in a row now here, I think people just think like, well, he'll never lose. Like the, the, the situation is like, well, why would you ever give Mahomes the ball back? He will 100% win the game if you give him a chance. And that's not true. He's great. No one is 100% um, just because he happened to do it again this time. Um, but this idea that's like, well, if you tell Patrick Mahomes he just needs a touchdown, he will get the touchdown. And it's like, uh, no. Like, I think, like I was trying to tell you, I think the best offenses in the NFL score a touchdown 25% of the possessions. So it's like you're not likely to score a touchdown. Well, yeah, I mean, if you scored every so possession. You can't, you can't act as if. Mahomes will be perfect. You have to then still try to be like, our defense can still win the game. You, you shouldn't play like crazy, like, well, we have to score a touchdown every time. We got to do this. We got to go for two because otherwise he's going to get us. It's like, no, he's still he's still a human man. He could still uh, not come back. He could still have a horrible game like uh, the Super Bowl four years ago, whatever that was. Yeah, against the Buccaneers. Um, they got it. it just, beat up pretty good that game. Yeah, like it just – you watch these games and you – Think otherwise because, you know, down by was down by three, ties the game. Down by three again, ties the game. Down by three again, wins the game. And it was just like they weren't having any offensive success before that. But in the three possessions that mattered, he was almost perfect. That's what they talked about. His last four possessions were all scores, and that's yeah. what. I don't want to give him credit for the the first one because that was the after the punt. Yeah. And it was a good touchdown throw, but uh, it was a 19-yard touchdown drive. But, yeah, those three drives, even though two of them ended in fuel wheels, were, I think they were all – 60 plus yards. He also, I think when, when it comes down to crunch time, he starts using his legs and that's like, yeah, destroys you. Yeah. I mean, they did have that fourth down and he used his legs. Like, yeah. and they, I remember it was like fourth and one or fourth and two. And he was, I think it was fourth and one. He was in shotgun. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And they, 
ran a perfect play where he got like a 15 yard scramble. Like he was their leading rusher. I think he had like 60 something yards or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he, he just makes it happen. And, uh, yeah, but he won't do it a hundred percent of the time. There will be, there will probably be a, a time sometime in the Super Bowl where he will fail on a game of and a drive attempt. I was listening to something today that is kind of normal. That is kind of crazy to think is like if he would have beaten the Buccaneers that year, it'd be kind of wild to think that Brady would have ended with six and Mahomes would already have four. Like that that would be a world that would be like, oh shit. But then it's like, well, no, like, you know, Brady's got seven, Mahomes now has three. But still, I mean, it's been remarkable what he's done. I mean, he's a good quarterback. You can't take anything away from that, but. Yeah, it's just it's just crazy because now this is two seasons in a row now with out Tyreek Hill, two seasons in a row now where everybody's been like, oh, they don't have a good receiving core, their offense doesn't look that good, and now two seasons in a row now where they've won the Super Bowl. So I hope it's not a third. I can't. I don't know if I can handle a third in a row. I mean, that's what I want to talk about. Yeah, here. we're we're gonna yeah the future of the these future. two teams because you know the NFL has a strict salary cap, uh, and you know the best teams pick later in the draft. So. Uh, Ideally, the team should good teams should get worse, and the worst teams should get better, and you get rotating good teams in and out. Um, but both these teams have been good for a while; um, they have good organizations. Um, so, what are the what does the Niners' future look like? They've got pretty much all of their their core intact for next year. It's going to be twenty twenty five where they have to make a lot of decisions. But it really helps to have Brock Purdy making no money. Um, but like a lot of them, they still have a lot of younger players that are not there yet making a ton of money. I'll be curious what's going to end up happening with Brock Purdy in the future because I don't yeah. know. I just don't think, I just don't believe he's going to be the Niners long-term guy. I think he's going to be one of those guys that unfortunately have this fun little run. And then eventually the Niners are going to be like, well, there might be better out there. And then someone else will grab him maybe on a team that's not nearly as good as the Niners. And then that's when for more money because he'll obviously get money. And then that's when I think he'll like slowly fall apart and people kind of go back yeah, I mean, and be a, like a Jared Goff situation, taking a team to the Super Bowl and then the coach realizing I need to get better. I mean, I, I yeah. do think that is that is the reality here is like if the Niners had a very Justin Herbert or yeah. Joe Burrow or uh, Josh Allen, I think they win this game. Oh, I think um, they might go undefeated. <laughs> yeah. So it just I mean, he's, I mean, he's, he's good a quarterback like that with the guys around him. I think he's very proven good. himself that he's good. But the, the best advantage that he has right now is that he's cheap um, and allows them to, to stock, stock the team here with really good players. Um, so they should run it back next year and just see what happens because they're, they're, they're loaded. Um, and we'll get to it later what the odds are, but they, they are the favorite next year um, because it's, they, they shouldn't be losing anyone. Um, I don't know if they'll have any you know, kind of surprise retirements or something, but uh, the core of their team is going to be intact. Uh, just after that, they're going to have to make decisions on like Greenlaw and Ayuk and um, I think some of the pass rushers. Um, but yeah, I don't think they have any big key players that are free agents this year. Uh, and then Kansas City, they have more cap room, but they also have more key free agents. So the big one is Chris Jones, who he was crying before the game um, during the national anthem. Uh, it kind of feels like he knows it's his time is up, like he held out to get a better deal this this uh, offseason, uh, and he only ended up getting a one-year deal. And I think it kind of was like, well, I'm going to be done with this team. I need to go get my I mean, he's got deal. three rings too now, right? So, I mean, he can go somewhere yeah. else. And and I think it's it's maybe like understated how important he is to that defense. That, oh, very. Uh, like rushing that, the pass. People don't give that defense enough credit because it's the highlights are so Mahomes-Kelsey, Mahomes-Kelsey. That, that, that's not who's... It's helping, but I really do think like the defense is really what's been winning these at least this year for sure. I don't give a shit what anybody. The defense won this these them the Super Bowl this year. They dom they shut down Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. They held on to Josh Allen and them. They completely shut down Miami. Granted, it was like you know negative you know twenty degrees, but they still shut them down. Defense got it going a little bit. Of the, the you know the offense didn't look that amazing this year, and it didn't look amazing in the Super Bowl. But the defense really does you know that steps up for them. Yeah. Uh, they also have um, Legarius Sneed's a free agent. He'd be due for a, a bigger contract than when I think they're, he's, he was still on a rookie deal getting paid like $3 million. Um, some other like linebackers, Drew Tranquil from the Chargers is on a one-year deal. Uh, and then they also have um, uh, Valdez Scantling is going to make $14 million next year unless they cut him. So they should cut him. Oh, I it's think one so. Of those deals. He did score a touchdown though, right? No. Was it? Oh yeah, he did. I thought he did. Time. Yeah, I always remember that play where he caught the pass like six yards, six yards, six yards downfield, and then lost five, 
four. Oh yeah, that play was ridiculous. I've never seen anything like that in my life. I mean, I have, but it's like it's so silly because it's yeah. like Chris Jones. Was that was a literally a negative eleven yak right there. Like yeah. when? Do, how often do you see that? Like someone that goes from a six yard gain to a, like a four yard, like five yard loss. I was like, I was impressed, honestly. So uh, they they make that move to cut him. They'll have they'll end up having like thirty million dollars in, in cap room. They could retain Chris Jones potentially, but I think they'll want to use that money to to get some better receivers. Um, so I think coming into next year, they might they might revert again, and the defense might be a little worse, and they might have a better number two receiver, and the offense will pick up. Um, the other thing is Kelsey is thirty five. Like this is the time where you just stop being good. Like. Yeah, uh, we didn't talk That's, about it. Well, especially he's, he's got some distractions too going on in his real in his personal life. I mean, it's it's now he's got the, this is his first off season now, like dating Taylor Swift. Like it's gonna be, you know, that there's gonna be a lot going on. I think, you know, assuming they keep their love alive. So yeah, we didn't talk about it in the Hall of Fame thing, but one of the stories there was Antonio Gates did not make the Hall of Fame yeah. in his first year. That's why I say like with uh, Devin Hester making it instead is kind of outrageous. Yeah, with with Gates, like he played. He basically played like five years past his prime where he was – I swanted him on the team. I, I loved him, but he was just old and kind of slow. He knew how to get open. He'd catch a pass for six yards and fall down and like not make it in the same types of plays. Um, and, you know, that, that might happen with, with Kelsey where he's still an effective veteran, but he's not uh, one of the best pass catchers. So, um, And I don't know, weird thing about Mahomes, I was thinking about his future. His running is so important, and that's not going to last forever. Um, there's probably by age 33, he's not going to be taken off like that. I hold it. Even is Mahomes like 26 or something, 28. So I, it's, it's a bigger part of his game than it ever was for, you know, Tom Brady. So if you're trying to do well, those, yeah. those comparisons of how they'll, they'll be at age 38, it's like, I think 38 year old Tom Brady is better than what 38 Mahomes will be, but that's, you know, a decade away. Um, but yeah, the other thing with both of these teams is that they draft so well. The reason Kansas City has been able to have this run is that they really had like two runs, if you think about it, um, because there's only been the three guys that have been there the whole time. So those first first three years with Mahomes, and they had Tyreek Hill, uh, they had other players on that team. They were able to keep being good because they hit on a bunch of picks over these last three years. So guys like uh, McDuffie and Carl Loftus and... Uh, Rasheed Rice and Pacheco and stuff. They've done a very good job of finding players um, in not so great that's, draft draft. That's what they kind of have said about the, so. you know, not to toot my team's horn, but the Steelers too, is that they've always been good at drafting receivers. Like, I mean, you look back, it was like, you know, when Heinz Ward was gone, then it was like Antonio Holmes came in. Then when he was gone, Mike Wallace. Then after him, it was like Antonio Brown. And then it was like, I mean, now they've got, uh, you know, I mean, Johnson after that. And then now it's like, you know, uh, Pickens is good. So it's, it's, they, that was they were another team too that always seemed to draft well. I mean, like a lot of and a lot of those guys went to you know some some of those guys went to teams that are I mean colleges that you know I mean Big Ben was in you know Miami Ohio like uh, Antonio Brown like Central Michigan. I mean, you find some of these guys at random spots, but uh, it is important to draft well. Obviously, I mean, there's that's why there's guys out there that are part of the team that are the guys behind the camera, if you will, that make those choices, make those decisions. They see that that talent that other people aren't seeing, or maybe they. Someone that's super hyped up, they're like, no, he's not going to be worth the, you know, that pick. I don't think he's going to pan out. Like, he's just a good college guy, or you know what I mean? So, you know. Yeah. So, the point here is there's reasons to believe Kansas City's not going to be able to sustain a dynasty. But if they continue to hit on their picks, like, they, they will be. Like, because I mean, Mahomes is going to be worth like 40 million against the cap next year, and I think 60 million the year after that. Uh, so they won't have all the money, but if like you're, you're drafting these guys, you're paying them two million dollars, you can still have some star players there. So uh, yeah, I think that should lead us into next year's Super Bowl odds. Yeah, so we'll we'll get in here to the next year's Super Bowl odds. As as you know, per usual, the the teams at the top are a lot of times the teams that we just saw play last. So uh, starting off as your favorites at plus five fifty, the San Francisco 49ers. Number two at plus 750, the Kansas City Chiefs. And then at nine to one odds, you got the Baltimore Ravens. 12 to one odds, the Buffalo Bills. 12 to one odds, the Detroit Lions. Uh, 15 to one odds, you know, the Cincinnati Bengals battled some big injuries this year, especially with Joe Burrow. So, uh, you know, don't forget about them. They, they, they're, he's one of like the only guys that has knocked out uh, Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs outside of the Super Bowl. He's literally the only active player. Uh, yeah, quarterback to beat him in the playoffs. Yeah, so and then after that, you've got a little threshold of teams here. So we've got Miami, Dallas, and the Eagles at twenty to one odds. 
Green Bay and Houston at 25 to 1 odds. And then you've got the Chargers, the Jaguars, and the Jets at 30 to 1. And then you get down here to the teams that uh, virtually maybe no shot. Washington, Giants, New England, and Tennessee at 150 to win. 150 to 1, I mean. And then the worst, the Carolina Panthers, 250 to 1. So um, looking at just this quick little board here, Andy, I know we're a ways away. And we'll obviously give you guys a real preview probably come August or something. But uh, what uh, what says you here with this? Like, I mean, I... Baltimore nine to one jumps out at me kind of. I mean, I think they gotta, you know, have a chance to be back there. But uh I think also Cincinnati at fifteen to one. I think maybe people have forgotten. And Joe well, Burrow's, you know, he's not done yet. He didn't win his ring. He wants to win his ring. So the the big free agent receiver this year is gonna be T. Higgins, who uh, I don't know if they'll be able to retain. So that's gonna be a, a blow for them. But they <clears> still have Jamar Chase and you know, they could get a good draft. Uh, is it is it shameful and biased to, to look at the Chargers thirty to no, one? No, I, I think thirty to one is so a great like, hey, value. I thought and honestly, remember who I picked this year? The Jets. I mean, I, I look there. With, I I know he's a year older now, but I mean, I, I still want to see Aaron Rodgers with this Jets team. You know, you never know. I mean, Rodgers might have got a year younger. He went into the yeah. cryo tank or something. He you might know? have got frozen like Han Solo yeah. or something. Might be feeling great next year. But yeah, they they clearly have a, a still a lot of talent on that Jets team. Um, Eagles, <laughs> like what happened with that team? Like, yeah, I mean, 20, I mean, honestly, Eagles and Dallas, I think at 20 to one is very live. I mean, I think that's, I mean, them getting a little, you know, disrespect a little bit. Miami at 21. I still just don't buy into Miami. I still think, I think the AFC is just better with teams like Buffalo, Baltimore, Kansas city and Cincinnati. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing here. What is, what is the NFC favorites here? We've got. Uh, the Niners, Niners at Detroit. number one, and then Detroit, and then yeah, then you jump into that. Green and Bay. I think I like Dallas and Philly more than Detroit. Maybe I mean I know. So I know the maybe at least Dallas. I did more. like I below this. Uh, the Rams were thirty-five to one. And I'm like the Rams were playing pretty good ball at the end of the season, and I think that's just a like no one trusts Stafford to to be alive. Yeah, I know a lot of people are high on Green Bay because obviously Jordan Love now he'll be a year older. He got that like that kind of rookie season, if you will, out of his way. So I know people are big on that. But yeah, no, we'll definitely see. It'll definitely be exciting. But uh, yeah, that's going to wrap us up here for episode 363 of the Sports Podcast. Uh, my name's uh, Tony, and with me we had Off-Road Andy. Yes, and uh, thanks for being here for the football season. It's it's over. we got to yeah, wait a couple months for the draft. But. Like, obviously, as you guys can tell, when uh, our sports episodes are very heavily based on on football, especially, you know, during the season, our episodes are much longer. I think this episode right now is flirting with 70 minutes, but uh, they'll be much shorter uh, after this. You know, they, uh, you know, once, uh, especially this period of time now where we're only going to have, you know, maybe brief NFL news, but uh, mostly just basketball and, you know, hockey and other sports. And then, you know, but we'll, we're big baseball guys too. And uh, within a month, you know, spring training will be going along and well. I think it actually starts in about 10 days and then, you know, that, that season will start up and then, you know, but I'll tell, I'll tell you what, Andy, this is the first time I think ever that, uh, I was okay with the NFL season ending. It was something about it this year that just felt exhausting. Like to see San Francisco, I mean, not, uh, but see Kansas city back in it and to win it again, just everything that was going on. It was just, you know, I, I will miss it in a few months and I'll be excited when it comes back, you know, in, in August, you know, when spring, spring, uh, or summer preseason football starts. But, uh, for now, I'm okay with uh, the season ending and uh, look forward to uh, talking about baseball and getting into that season. That should be an exciting season. But uh, yeah, we thank you guys all for listening. So please uh, continue to like and subscribe uh, to our podcast and take a listen to our entertainment one because that's always good. So uh, again, yeah, thanks for listening. See you soon.